in an effort to be honest with you, I don't know what Pastor Mike teaches about doing this or not doing this when you come into preaching, but I'm going to tell you this is the first time I've preached this, this word, so it's brand new. It's kind of like a new friend. It's not an old friend. Um, I'd rather preach an old sermon that was, be, that was made alive again by the Spirit of the living God because then it's one that, that I know. I think it was Charles Wesley who said, I don't really feel like I have a word down, a message down, till I've preached it about 150 times. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in good company. This is a new friend to me, but it's something I've been feeling all week long, in fact, a couple weeks, that was a piece that God wanted to put into the puzzle of the 2023 EBIC week of prayer. So here we are doing that. First of all, I've come up with a very unoriginal and rather audacious and bold and daring title. It's called, What is Prayer? <laughs> As if I could, in the next half hour, 30, 40 minutes, tell you what prayer is all about. It's a big topic, isn't it? And the more you know, the more you know that you don't know. And so it's good to be able to look at it. But I'm just going to say some things under this banner of what is prayer. And hopefully God will reveal something to you that you can take out of here and walk away with. The text... Matthew 7, 7, out of the New Living Translation. Jesus is saying this. He said, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. Now, I'm not a language expert. But as far as I can understand, Ramon, you can perhaps help me here. But I understand that the the construction of this verse in the original language is what could be called present, perfect, continuous tense. Something like that. In other words, it's something that you're doing now, you have done, but you need to keep on doing it. That's why this rendering from the New Living Translation is the one that I'm using because it pulls this aspect out. It's not just knock and seek or ask and seek and then knock. It's you're doing it, now keep doing it, all right? Now, you've already asked, that's good. Now keep asking. You've been seeking, wonderful, don't stop. You've knocked, don't stop knocking, keep going. Now my question, and again, in all honesty, why did God make prayer like that? I would think that if you're going to ask for something, the one who knows everything, the one who hears every prayer that I pray, heard me the first time. He knows what I need before I even pray it. So why does he need me to not only ask, but keep on asking, seek, and yet keep seeking and knock, but don't stop now. Keep on knocking. Keep on knocking on wood. Knock on your head. Knock on heaven's door. Knock on something. But the fact is, it's this how is it again? Present, perfect, continuous tense. I had to go back to like online. I had to go back to Google. I had to go back to like 10th grade in high school to remember any of this stuff. And I'm not going to do that anymore to you. I'm just saying there is an aspect in what Jesus was saying that having done it, you're not done. Having knocked, seek, asked, keep doing that. As long as we're raising uncomfortable questions like, why did God create prayer like that? Why did God construct prayer like that? Let me ask you another one. If God already knows everything that I need, in fact, he knows what I need and what you need better than what I do and what you do. Isn't that true? He knows what we really need. Then why does he 
insist that I ask him for anything if he already knows it. Is it a game that he plays? No, not at all. There's something to this. This is why I really felt like God gave me something to share with you, and I'm hoping that I can do that. I'm going to do my best to answer a couple of those questions in the time that we have. My observation over the years is that people tend to have basically two types of um, relationships, associations in their life. And in your notes, I gave you a little bit of this. The first is what I call group one. They're need-based associations. What that means is there are people in your life that are not your friends. They're not necessarily close to you at all, but you go to them because you have a need. When it's time for me to get my hair cut, I have a hairdresser. I have a barber, whatever you call it. But I go and I come out with less hair than I went in with, and that's the point. Hopefully it looks fairly decent. A need-based person is somebody who does something for me. I go to them with a need that I have, and when the need has been met, I leave. I don't hang out in the barber's chair and, and chill and talk and have a fun time. I'm just, I'm done. You met my need. I pay my money. I'm out the door. When I need food, I need clothing, I need shoes, I need something, I need gas in my car, I go to the gas station, I fill up because I have a need. When my tank is full and my car is empty, <laughs> no, but when my tank is full, I don't hang out with the gas attendant. Maybe it's a nice guy, nice girl, but the fact is I'm done. You met my need, thank you very much, and I'm out of here. Does that make sense? These are the need-based associations we have in our life. When the need has been met, we've gone food shopping, we got what we want, we're gone. We went clothing shopping, shoe shopping. When we got what we went for, we leave. Well, I take that back because in shoe shopping, sometimes I've seen a few people that like had no need at all, but they went shoe shopping anyway because I got to have those shoes. They're so cute. But anyway, for the most part, need-based associations associations is, are those people in our life that provide us a service. We go with a need, they meet the need, and we're gone. Now, you need to realize God wants to be in group one in your life. He wants to be the one that you come to with your needs. And as I understand scripture, that's his promise to you as his heavenly father is, say it with me, it's in your notes, my God shall supply all your needs. And then it goes on, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So he wants to be the one. He wants to be in the group one people, associations, relationships in your life. Because he wants to be the one you come to, to supply your needs. And we have needs, don't we? Oh my goodness. We're not even really aware of how much we need, but we have a lot of needs. We have them every day, and God knows that because God made us to have needs. He made us to be dependent and so, having made us as he made us, having needs in our life, he says, I'm also going to teach them, these needy people, I'm going to teach them to pray for their needs. And so say the Lord's Prayer with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's the first half that talks about God, what's the first thing when it comes to us? Give us this day our daily bread. That's exactly where it begins because the first thing God wants us to realize is that we do have needs. 
Daily needs, he calls them daily bread. You realize that daily bread is more than just bread, don't you? You've caught on to that by now. Okay. So because there are daily needs, watch this now. This is logic and math. It's going to just amaze you. Because we have daily needs, we need to have daily asking. See, daily bread is really a picture back in the Old Testament of manna. Remember the manna? Okay. How often did the manna come? Every day. Could they store up manna for the next day? What happened if they stored up manna for the next day? It got rotten, except on the Sabbath. Isn't that cool? Stored up for two days because you're not supposed to go out on the Sabbath. But the fact is, the manna, which is the daily bread, Jesus is saying, okay, I want you guys, New Testament believers, to have that same concept that you need to go out and you have needs. Thank God for the drink, for the food, for the clothes, for the warmth, for the car, whatever we had need of yesterday and how God met those things yesterday. But the fact is, it's a new day. And with a new day comes new mercies, but with a new day comes new needs. And so I need to ask again for the things that I have need of. So give us this day. Thank God for yesterday. Tomorrow's not here yet. Yesterday's in the past. But right, I live in the present. And in the present, Father, I have needs. So give me this day my daily bread. And that means that if I'm going to have daily needs and I'm going to need to then ask daily, God almost seems to be teaching us to have a daily dependence on him to supply. And that's important to realize. You're not, you see, I, ta- I teach this in some class. I forgot what it is. Maturity in the natural is to go from a state of dependence to independence, right? We don't want somebody like, we've got, I talk about my grandkids, but not yet. We're going to talk about our grandkids in just a minute. They're so cute. i got to show you pictures, but I don't have pictures right now. But they're so cute. But they are like, babies are completely dependent on everything. Anybody, everybody. They can't do it. They just kind of lay there and just exude cuteness. But they don't. They can't feed themselves. They can't walk. They can't get around. They can't do anything. And we love them to death, right? They're incredible. But we're hoping that as they grow, now they're 3, 4, 5, 16, 7. They're not just still laying there trying to be cute. Kid, it's time to get up and walk. It's time to feed yourself. It's time to get a job and get a haircut and whatever. You Kid, grow up. So we're hoping that they'll grow from dependence to independence. But I found that in the realm of the kingdom of God, in the realm of the spirit, it kind of flips it on its head. And we kind of come into life and we come, to come, come into the kingdom, if you will, almost like a a self-made man. I'm independent. I'm strong. I can do. I'm God's gift to, you know, God's gift to the planet here. And God, over the course of years, is teaching us to become more and more. And we don't like it because it bothers our pride, but more and more and more dependent on him for everything. I gave you the verse in Matthew. Look at this verse, Matthew 6. Jesus said, don't worry about these things. Don't worry about them. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? He says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. He knows them. Do you understand the fact that when you pray, you're not telling God something he didn't know? 
You're not informing God of facts that were like, whoa, thanks, I didn't know that about you. He already knows all your needs. But we need to then seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. That's his promise. He's our need meter. So is God then, my question to you is this, is God teaching us to pray just so that our daily needs can be met? Is that the only reason why? It's kind of a yes-no answer, isn't it? Well, yes, we just talked about the fact that he wants to supply our needs, and so we should be asking for provision for those needs. So that's the yes part. But the no part is uh, there probably more to prayer than just me getting what I want, like walking into the gas station, getting my car filled up with gas, and then leaving. Because God doesn't want to just be a gas station for you. And that gets into the second group. The group one were uh, the need-based associations, but group two is relationship-based associations. And this is important to realize. So what am I talking about? Family, you're talking about close friends, people that are, are close to you, people that you have a, a, a relationship with. My wife and I, well, let me just put it from here. I love to be with this lady. I don't need to have a need, although she cares for my needs. She's an amazing cook. She's an amazing person on so many levels. But I, I just want to be with her for no special reason. She doesn't expect me just to come and, although I have, honey, in the past, just to come home from work, eat, because I have a need for food, and then leave again. <sighs> what I'm trying to do in my slightly old age, I'm never old. By the way, I'm never old. I just realized that I will never get old because I always know somebody who's 10 years older than I am. So they're old and I'm not. Anyway, that's, that's extra. You can take that one if you want, Dr. Ray. <laughs> But I don't have a, I, I just want to be with her. I enjoy her company. I like hanging out with her. And the same thing with, we got five kids, and all those five kids are having kids. And now I've got 10 grandchildren. Whoa. The 10th is still in the oven. He, is it a he or she? Do we know that yet? Heaven know the ginger. Okay. Born in July. So I got 10. It's just like I feel wealthy. But we got like, first of all, we got one grandchild who's in Hawaii right now with his parents. And, okay, well, you know, I wish they were closer. But we got two young grandkids around here now. One is Renee. Renee is my daughter, Becca, our, our daughter, Becca, her only daughter. And she comes to our house. And she's like, I wish I could walk like Renee. Well, she kind of walks up on her toes. She's kind of like... She is just like full of life. She just bounces. This is called walking for Renee. On her toes, just doing this. And her little hair is like down here about a foot long. She just, it just bounces. Just bounces. She can come anytime she wants. She doesn't have to have an agenda or a purpose. She can just come and hang out as far as I'm concerned, as far as Grandma's concerned. Nana is concerned. Nana and Papa, by the way, that's the way Anytime she wants it. It's just because she's in that relationship-based associations in my life. Same thing with Wesley. Oh, my goodness. Wesley is our youngest daughter, Debbie, uh, their only son. His name is Wesley William Mauer. I'm just saying that because the William is my middle name, and his hair, Wesley's hair, is red. 
That's sweet. They named him after me, Papa. That's sweet. Wesley, we love going to their house. They bought a house up in Victor. And we just go and we hang out. And yeah, sometimes we will go, Margie especially will go, for child care is the need. So we go to provide the need. But I'll tell you what, once we get there, it's like we're sitting on the floor. We're laughing. We're playing. We're just having a wonderful time. And so because he's in that group too, relationship. It's not like he meets a need in us or we meet a need in him. It's gone beyond that. It's deeper than that. And God wants to be in your group one, but people, he doesn't just want to be someone you come to when you have a need, when you tried everything else in your life, and finally, because everything else has failed, you're going to absolutely be desperate and try prayer. (laughs) He doesn't want to be just a need meter in your life, although he promises to supply your needs. He said, I want to be the one that you come to and you enjoy and you commune with and you have fun. He wants that kind of relationship with you. I put a line from an old song. It's a song that I wrote, but I wrote it a long time ago, so it's an old song. (laughs) But it says, we have a Father in heaven who loves us, who sees our every need before we realize it's there. But he has so designed it that we must seek to find it. And that again goes back to my question. God, if you know that I have a need, because you know better than I do that I have a need, why do I have to ask and then keep on asking? Seek and keep and knock and keep on knocking. I don't get that. I'm okay with it because I know him. And I know he's good. I know he's not playing games with me. But really, can't we, can't we make this prayer thing a whole lot easier? I mean, can't we just kind of like, God, can you just take care of my needs? I don't have to worry about asking because you already know what I need. Can you just kind of provide for them so I can get on with, 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 with life? I mean, can, why do I have to ask? I want to attempt to answer that right now because there's three reasons in your notes that God wants us to ask. The first is pretty simple. Asking God for our needs helps us to be totally dependent on him. I've been saying this already. Prayer is not just us telling God what we need and then somehow persuading him through fasting or something that he's going to give us what we need. Listen, it's not God who needs us to pray. It's us who needs us to pray. God is not informed by your prayer. God is not persuaded by your prayer. But you need to pray. All right, I won't get into all the depths that are beyond my pay grade of understanding all of what prayer is. But God knows. But he also knows this. He knows my nature. He knows my humanity. He knows that unless I am almost confronted with a need day by day, daily need, daily bread, unless that happens, I will tend to, like, drift away. And it's been a day now before I've checked in with God. It's been... A week, and I really because I my needs have been met somehow. So I'm just kind of. So he knows us. He knows our humanity. He knows that we need to almost. Can I say it reverently? Be kept on a short leash. <laughs> you know what I mean by that. He knows that if he gives me too much space, I will just float away. Because all my needs have been contained and cared for, taken care of by me. So God says, no, I've made you to have needs. 
And I want to be the one who supplies all your needs. But they're going to be daily. They're going to be daily bread that we're talking about. Because if, if he doesn't, I don't know about you, but I know about me. I've been me, I've been me my whole life. And I know that I will develop a spirit of independence and self-sufficiency. And at that point, it's going to be very difficult for me. So God has designed a way for me to keep coming back to him because I have needs. So thank God for the needs that you have. Number two, why does God want us to ask? Asking God for our needs helps us to, to defend against ingratitude. What's ingratitude? How would you define ingratitude? How would you define gratitude? Yeah, it's involving thanks, isn't it? It's a feeling, but it's also an action. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is actually more than just feeling thankful. It's giving thanks. Ingratitude grows in our heart when we start to take the blessings of God for granted. We just kind of assume that they'll always be there. Without realizing it, we can then begin to basically manage our own affairs and pride creeps in and gratitude goes out the window. We need to be constantly made aware of how needy we really are and that we need him and we need him more. Here's a, here's a good statement, not in your notes. I should have put it there, but I can give it to you right now. Being ungrateful doesn't mean that we don't feel gratitude. Listen to it carefully. Being ungrateful doesn't mean that we don't feel gratitude. Being ungrateful means that we are unwilling to give thanks. I'm going to say it again because you realize something just went by you. I should have listened to that better. Wake up. Listen. Being ungrateful doesn't mean that we don't feel gratitude. Being ungrateful means that we are unwilling to give thanks. Do you, have you caught on to the fact by now that gratitude, as much as it's wonderful to feel grateful before we say thank you, you can still say thank you as an action, even though maybe you don't feel deep swells of gratitude rising up inside of you. All right? The feeling is great. Feelings and emotions are a gift from God. But learn how to operate in a realm deeper than that. Now, I'm going to give you a couple quotes here from George MacDonald. If you ever read anything by George MacDonald, he's an amazing 19th century, not here anymore, 19th century author, theologian, fantasy writer. He was a major source in inspiring both C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings guys. Incredible guy. In fact, Lewis says, I really didn't write anything in my life that I was conscious of him. He was like my master, C.S. Lewis said. George MacDonald, he said this, so often we take for granted our daily bread, feeling as if the provision for our needs somehow came out of nothing or just happened to be there or was taken from the ground or the earth or somehow our own thoughts instead of those needs being provided for us out of the love in the heart of God. For us, there's an awareness that we need to develop in our hearts that everything I am comes from Him. Whether I'm aware of it or not, whether I understand that or not, feel that or not, is not the issue. I want to come. I want you to come. We want to come to the place that we, there's a growing awareness in our maturity. Well, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I am what I am. 
by the grace of God. Who I am, it can only be accounted for, not by works of righteousness that I've done, not by my talents, my skill set, my anything else. I am what I am. And I now understand, and I attribute it all back to the one who gave it. Everything comes from him. So I can give him thanks. Number three, and this is an important catch as well. We're talking about reasons why we need to ask and keep on asking. So we're not becoming, um, helps us to be totally dependent on him. Fight against ingratitude. And number three, bringing this home. Asking God for our needs builds our relationship with him. Do you understand that your relationship with God is shelf, top shelf, number one? God is always watching over his relationship with you, your relationship with him. Even when I'm not aware of it or thinking about it, he's always watching over that. In fact, knowing God, Jesus said that knowing God is the very essence of eternal life. I gave it to you in John 17, 3. Here's Jesus in prayer to his Father in heaven. He says and teaches us as he prays, Jesus says, this is eternal life. This is everlasting life. Knowing you, having an intimate relationship with you, knowing you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you've sent. You ever heard of the Westminster Shorter Catechism? Pardon? Have you? Ramon, have you have? 375 years ago, this is back in July, this is cute, I love history, but July of 1648, which is approximately, if not exactly, 375 years ago, some church fathers put together a list of questions, 107 questions for the new convert into the Christian faith to teach them all the different things they need to know as a new convert. The question was given and the answer was provided. They needed to learn the answer. 107 questions, even more than our tests here that we give you sometimes. Maybe not more, but anyway, 107 questions, all the way down. What was the first question? Number one. Number one question put there intentionally as number one, put it in your notes. Here's the first question they needed to understand. What is the chief end of man? Which, by the way, ladies, that means mankind, so it includes you. All right? Don't do the gender thing. Don't worry about that. What is the chief end or the chief Purpose. Why are we here? Why do we exist? What is our purpose in being here? What's the chief end of man? The answer they were to learn was man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To enjoy him. Doesn't that sound wasteful? Just enjoying God. I mean, how do you do that? First of all, it's not a group one issue, is it? Here I am, God, coming to you for a need. Give me the need, give me the need, give me the need. Okay, out of here. Woo! I'm going to come to him like he's family, like he's my grandson. I can just be with him. Because I enjoy Wesley William Maurer. I love hanging out with that little guy. He's so cute. I said that already, Sorry. But that's exactly what God wants of us, is to learn to just sit there with a silly grin on our face at times and just say, God, I enjoy you. It seems so non-productive, doesn't it? You could be out there producing. You could be like, you're just really racking up the points there, doing stuff. You could be witnessing during that same time. You're just kind of wastefully... Just enjoy. 
Just enjoy. Let me give you a couple of verses here. I actually gave you the verses. I'm going to read them for you. Look at the heart of God and the priority of God in saving a people and calling us to himself. Exodus 19.5. This, this makes my socks curl down. This is incredible. Look at this. He said, you saw what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. Now, historically, look back at what actually happened. Remember the plagues, the ten plagues, the whole Pharaoh thing, and then the parting of the Red Sea, walk across on dry land. What was going on in the natural was we saw people like, you know, armies back there and we're going forward and everything else. And they get there and the the waters come back over and the chariots all, you know, and they drown and all that different stuff. God said, let me give you my perspective on that same event. I did those things to the Egyptians, judging them. And I carried you, my people, on eagle's wings. And I brought you, where? To the desert? To a promised land? To a, no, I brought you, he said, to myself. Because I want you to be with me. By the way, thematically, I know that Brother Ramon and others in this place know the answer. That was Exodus 19. What happened one chapter later in Exodus 20? Do you remember? What was the Ten Commandments were given. The law was given, but not until the next chapter. What's the significance of that? Thank you. Good question. I'll answer that. The question was, <laughs> sorry. The reason that it's important to realize is that before the law was given in any form, predating the law, was the original heart and purpose and intention of God, why he wanted you, why he wanted us. And that was God just saying, come here. And he grabs us around the head and gives us a little, you know, he just wants us to be that. Probably doesn't do that. But he wants us to be with him. You saw what I did to the Egyptians. I bore you on eagle. I brought you to myself. Look at the New Testament. Mark, Jesus said, went up to the mountain and he called to himself those he wanted. They came to him. He appointed 12. He named them apostles so that they might what? Be with him. And he would then send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Do you see that that was the doing? But before the doing was the being. He said, guys, I want you to come and just enjoy. Be with me. Hang with me. Be my group too. Hang right here with me. We'll walk together. We'll eat together. We'll get to know each other. That's what he wants. Yeah, he's the need meter. He's group number one, but he's also group number two, and he wants to be that one who's just there, that we can enjoy his presence. And a key word in this, ready for this? It's communion. Now, when you think of communion, what do you think of? All right, different ways, but sometimes it's the bread, right? It's the communion service where we have the bread or the cracker or the unleavened, whatever, and then we have the cup of juice or wine, whatever we're going to drink there. The fact is, communion is more than just taking the bread and the cup in what we call the Lord's Supper. In fact, sometimes there really isn't, I'm going to say this carefully, but there really isn't sometimes a lot of communion in communion. Well, we have the structure. We have the elements in place. But what is it God is really wanting in the Lord's Supper? 
What is it that he really wants? And why do we call it communion? Because co-mune is like co-sign or co-air. In other words, there's two parties involved in this co-munion. And we have words that help us to define communion like unity or empathy or sympathy, compassion, understanding. Words like closeness or friendship. Words like intimacy or warmth and affection and caring and tenderness. Those are what really should be going on in communion. So you need to have communion in your communion. But you can have communion even apart from the bread and the cup. Do you, does that make sense to you? Okay. This is the kind of relationship he wants with you. Is the warmth, the unity, the empathy, this, all of this. That's why Ephesians 5 is such a cool picture. Right around verse 25, I'm thinking, in Ephesians 5, he says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, the two become one flesh. And then he says, This mystery is great, but I'm speaking in reference to what? Christ and his church. The picture we can see an analogy to teach us something we can't really understand or see as clearly. He said marriage, group two, family, connected, husband, wife, kids come along too, grandkids, bring them in. The whole family, the group two concept, he said that really is a reference to more than just natural relationships on earth. It's a picture, it's an analogy of Christ and his church, which means it's a kind of intimate relationship he wants to have with his bride, with his family. Margie and I, we do this. We sit. We got a fireplace at our house, by the way. It's just so nice all these days with snow in the ground, cold in the air, and we just go in there and it's not a gas. And we, I mean, this is real wood. This is like, and it smells like real wood. It's like, yeah, so good. And we sit there by the fire and we just let the hours go by. No needs are being met apart from the need for communion, companionship, and warmth, by the way. It really, really feels good. And we sit there and our, we have a little dog, a little terrier. His name is Theo, like Theophilus, like he's our little furry friend of God, you know. And he is like in his little doggy heaven when we sit down together and pull the blanket over us, he just like, yes. And he comes running. And he has to be literally, right, honey, in the middle of us. And then he just lays there. And I, I mean, this, this dog can purr like a cat. I mean, he's incredible. He just like, just ooh, just ooh, just, just lays there and flips over on his back and lets us just, you may scratch the royal belly now. He just, he just is so happy with that. But that's communion. We send an inv invitation out to, like, our kids live up in Victor. And we say, we, we will provide a good meal for you. Come on down. We got, and we talk about the menu, whatever. We, and that gets them in the door. They say, ooh, I'm hungry. I have a need. So they come. They come down, and they come in the door, and we got stuff on the table all ready to feed them. We're going to feed them well because Margie, again, is an amazing cook. But when they come in the door, it's more than just, they don't just, like, walk over to the table and sit down, eat, and then get up and leave. That's not the real purpose of our doing that. They come in the door, and we start having fun. And we unwind, and we relax, and we laugh, and we tell dad jokes, and we just hang out together. And we play with the kids, and it's a wonderful family time. 
So on the one hand, it looks like a group one need-based thing. In reality, although that is there, in reality, it's more. It's a rich family time. And God desires that kind of communion with you. It might be your need that gets your attention, that brings you there. But once you're in the door of his presence, he's looking for something more than just your need being met and then, I'm out of here. Because he wants to be with you and he wants you to enjoy him. George MacDonald said it's important and necessary that we should be made to feel at least some of our wants, some of our needs, so that we may seek him who alone supplies all of them and find in his every gift, in his every answer, in his every provision, a window to his heart. Do you catch the significance of that? That he provides something for us in answer to our asking, seeking, and knocking. But he wants, even in the gift that he gives us, he wants us to see that as a window to his heart. How he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And if we're just like, we never catch that. That he's after that relationship with us. Communion with God is the one need of our soul beyond all other needs. Prayer is the beginning of that communion. But some need needs to be there to get my attention. Are you catching that? I have to have needs in my life to get my attention to say, you know what? I'm hungry. You know what? I'm lonely. You know what? I'm thirsty. You know what? I'm anxious. I'm something. I'm so- I got a need. So God says, come here. My God shall supply all your needs. And as long as you're here, come here, kid. And he pulls us to himself. And he hugs us and he loves us. And we learn to just unwind a little bit and sit in his presence and enjoy him. And enjoy him. We sometimes have to have a little bit of a motive, like a little prompting to get us to come. A little boy named Bobby ran away from home. Hunger for his dinner, the dinner that he was missing, was probably the thing that got his attention and convinced Bobby to go back home. You ever run away from home before? Have you? Got your suitcase packed and I'm out of here. I don't live under these rules anymore and you're just going to... You get down the road or you get across the lawn maybe and you realize, ah, hmm. Because you're like, you ever walk by the, of course you walk by the dining hall and they're out cooking something. It's like, and you change your priorities because like, ooh, they're having chicken patties. Well, I'm in. I'm, I'm going to just wait with that. I'm in there. And I think that Bobby, who ran away from home, he starts to get stomach hearts to do that. And he starts to get, you know, so he comes back home. But when Bobby came back home, hear my heart, I'm thinking that he won't be sitting down quickly just to eat his food. Because that's not really, because he's not really concerned about food, at least not right away. I think what Bobby needs to do, what Bobby wants to do more than eat the food that got his attention and brought him back home, is that Bobby needs to run into the open arms of his mother who's waiting for him. Because Bobby needs his mother more than he needs his dinner. You see what I mean? It's the need that gets our attention. That's fine because we're need-based. We have daily bread, daily needs all the time. But God is saying, come here. 
convincing us of his love. Bobby's, Bobby had a valid concern. Daily bread, that was normal. And that need was about to be provided because when Bobby came in the door, he looks and the food, the supper was already on the table waiting for him. The prayer had been answered. But there was something, there was an occasion. It was much greater need than just simply food. It was the need for intimate fellowship with his family, with his mom. One more time, almost done here. George McDonald said, we must ask. We must ask that we may receive but that we should receive what we ask from God in respect to our lower daily needs is not God's purpose in making us pray. He could give us everything we need just by bam, couldn't he? I mean, he's God. He's omnipotent, right? All-powerful. He could bam, he could do that. But in order to bring his child to his knee or into his presence, if you will, to bring us into loving communion with himself, God withholds that we may ask. Why do I have to ask if he already knows? God intentionally, knowing what you need, withholds because he wants to get our attention. Oh, he plans to meet your need in his way and his time because he's good and he's rich and he's able to do that. But his highest concern for you is not just that you have that need met today. Because you'll have that same need again tomorrow. He loves you as a father and wants to make sure those needs are met. But higher than that is his intense, fervent desire to call you into the depth of communion, the depth of relationship with himself. Our needs are important. But from an eternal perspective, They're also in our life for the sake of helping us to come into communion with God, our greatest need, our eternal need. In other words, God, you see what I'm saying to you here? He's looking for more. And we see the need. We're caught by the need. I'm hungry in my stomach. I'm I'm, I'm coming back to God. I'm coming back home. But he uses that to provide our greatest need, our endless need, which is the need of God himself. Because you will have that need until eternity is no more. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days. That's the point of that verse in Amazing Grace. But when we've been there 10,000 years, you're going to need him as much as you need him now. Only then you're going to be so much more aware of it. This is our eternal need. It's God himself. And I'll end with this quote by C.S. Lewis. What is prayer? This is what Lewis says. Prayer, in the sense of petition or asking for things, is a small part of it. Confession and repentance are its threshold. Adoration is its sanctuary. But the presence and the vision and the enjoyment of God are its bread and wine. In prayer, God shows himself to us. You see what he's doing? He said, ask. Keep on asking. Seek. Keep on doing it. Knock. The door's going to be open to you. But he pulls us out of our lethargy and out of our self-sufficiency by calling us to himself, say, God, I... I'm hungry. God, I need, I need, I need. He says, I know, I made you that way. 
calling us to himself, walking in the door, if you will, of his presence. And in that place, not only is the need met or will be in his time, but something we didn't even plan on or know that we needed far more than the thing we went for is the need of God, the eternal need that you will have and always have in your life. So he calls us in.